Well, good morning, everyone. As I was listening to Jennifer's story, her revelation of what Christ is doing in her and Bob's life, I, I honestly, I don't know that I have much to add. The text will reinforce what she has already emphasized, but the Spirit of God has aligned uh, our messages in a really beautiful way this morning. So I feel very privileged to just come and sort of say, yeah, what she said. We see it here in 43. Let's give ourselves an opportunity to understand something about Jacob's feeling. We've been in this study of Genesis for a long time, and we've got uh, several weeks left to go before we'll be finished. Uh, there are 50 chapters in Genesis, so we're right on the edge. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning, I should have said welcome. We're happy you're here. My name's Darren, and I'm always excited to see guests. And I'd love to meet you later, so you can come and say hi or whatever. But we're studying the story of God as revealed in his people in the book of Genesis. And, and specifically here, we're hearing the story of Jacob and Joseph. And And I want you to think uh, for just a second about what it would be like to be in Jacob's shoes when we come to Genesis 43. Remember that Jacob has always been able, for good or bad, to have incredible outcomes in his life. Sometimes because of his cheating or a little bit of deception. Sometimes because he was in the right place at the right time. Sometimes because he was in the wrong place at the right time. But Jacob in his life has, uh, has, has been blessed. I mean, he had flocks and livestock. He's had multiple wives and children. And I mean, it's, he's been greatly blessed. And a lot of his life has been successful. Uh, if you were to look at it externally, he, he's never never really been in a spot where he wasn't able to take care of himself in some ways, right? Uh, Either through deception or through honesty or whatever. And now we come to 43 and it says the famine is severe. We know that they're in the midst of a seven year famine uh, and they're only just a couple of years in. And it says here at the beginning of 43, now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, remember the brothers had already gone on that first trip. We studied that last week. They'd gone on the first trip to Egypt. They brought back some food, but now they've eaten all the food. Food they had. So their, their stores are depleted, and despite all of Jacob's success, despite all of the stuff he had and the size of his family, in some ways the size of his family is actually a detriment now. They're hungry and they don't have any food. It doesn't mean they don't have anything. In fact, he's able to prepare a gift, and we're going to talk about that in a second of, uh, you know, some nuts and some different, uh, you know, some, some spices, things that would have uh, represented wealth, but they're not things they could fill their belly with, right? So Jacob is feeling the frustration of not being able to take care of himself. He's at a place finally here where he feels powerless, where he feels afraid, where he feels anxious, where he feels like he is not in control. And if something doesn't change, he's going to die, as are his children, as are his grandchildren, and potentially his great-grandchildren. Jacob's at a place where he's feeling that powerlessness. He recognizes his own needs. He is fearful. He is hurt. He is anxious. Joseph, in his opinion, is dead. The the threat of losing Benjamin looms large. He hasn't seen Simeon in over a year. They have no food. Give yourself a sense to remember times in your own life where you felt powerless, and the result is that you turn your frustration on the people around you, right? In those moments where you feel like you can't control things, it's easy to look at the people around you and to take it out on them. We see that in the text here. It says, the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father, that's Jacob, said to them, go again, buy us a little food. I love how casually he says that. Hey, just go and buy us a little food, right? It feels almost flippant. What that requires is a journey of several weeks, right? It takes a long time to go and get this. And Jacob kind of makes it seem like no big deal. 
So Judah comes back and he says, I don't know if you're forgetting in your old age, if you've lost your mind, but we already told you, dad, that we can't go back to Egypt and get more food unless we take Benjamin with us. The man in Egypt was very clear. Simeon is still in prison. If we go back there and we don't have Benjamin with us, he's not going to see us. We're not getting any food, right? This is the way it goes down. He says, go again and buy us a little food. Verse three, Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now look at what happens in six. Jacob is recognizing that he can't control the famine. He can't control Pharaoh. He can't control his own physical needs. He can't control his hunger or the hunger of his children. He can't control the future. And this lack of control results in an attitude that's less than befitting of the anointed one of God. He turns in six and he says this, Israel or Jacob said to Judah, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Now here's the thing, this question and its answer are irrelevant, right? They don't matter at all. The answer to that question isn't going to fill their bellies. The answer to that question isn't going to solve their dilemma. All it's going to do is drive a wedge between Jacob and his sons. But in that moment of powerlessness and fear, in that moment where he can't control Pharaoh and he can't control the man who's in charge in Egypt. He can't control his own hunger. He can't provide for his family. He can't seem to solve it. And he's always been able to solve it. In that moment of frustration, Jacob lashes out at the person that's closest to him. He lashes out at Judah. And he says to Judah, this is your fault. It's your fault. Why did you even tell the guy in Egypt that you have a brother? If you've never told him that, we wouldn't be in this spot. And Judah's really quick to focus his attention on what's most important. But I I think we've all been there. We've all been there in those moments of fear or powerlessness where it's easier to lash out at the people we can affect than to focus on the things that we can't. I was at Hume Lake uh, Christian Camp last weekend for their staff orientation. In fact, we should be praying for Hume Lake. They're starting their summer camps today. So they've got students rolling up to Hume Lake today. I was there for staff orientation last weekend. On Sunday and Monday, all of their staff come in, their full-time staff, their summer staff, and I had the opportunity to preach two messages, one on Sunday and one on Monday. But one of the things I forgot when I was at Hume is that during staff orientation, if you've ever been up there, I mean, they've got some great food. So there's a snack shop where they got burgers and fries and corn dogs and stuff. They've also got a pizza place. There's a great general store. There's plenty of places to get good food. During staff orientation, none of those places are open, right? Because the staff is being orientated. And so uh, I got done preaching on Sunday night at about, I don't know, like probably like nine o'clock and I was really hungry. And when I used to live at Hume Lake, I lived at Hume Lake for about nine years. When I lived there, I had a key that would let me into the general store. And so no no matter what time of day, I could go into the general store. I could use my key. I could go in there and, for instance, get a pack of powdered donuts, right? Now, that might not be the kind of thing you would eat at 9 o'clock at night, but I have been known in my life to eat a few packs of powdered donuts after 9 p.m., right? So uh, late last Sunday night, it's about 9 o'clock at night. The general store is closed. The snack shop is closed. The pizza place is closed. The dining hall is closed. And I'm sitting outside of the general store bemoaning my lack of access, right? Remembering the good old days when I had a key. And not only do I not have a key anymore, they don't even let their staff go in anymore. And so you can, you can imagine the way my mind starts to devolve, right? 
right? I start grumbling about my lack of a key. And then it turns into the fact that, you know, back in the day, the staff trusted us. But now they don't trust their staff. Otherwise, they'd give them keys. And I could find somebody from Hume Lake who would let me into the general store. And they would buy me the pack of powdered donuts that I so desperately need. My hunger is churning. And my frustration, it escalates to a place where I'm being critical of the leadership at Hume Lake. Because they don't trust their staff to give them keys to buy me powdered donuts. And then I'm reminded that they have a new point of sale system in the last 20 years that's all computerized. Used to be we'd just write powdered donuts on a piece of paper and somebody would charge us later. Now it's all in the cloud, you know, or whatever. So not only, even if I found somebody with a key, it's not an issue of trust, right? It's not an issue of whether they trust their staff. They certainly do. But there's an automated system. They can't just have any yokels going into the general store in the middle of the night buying powdered donuts, right? I'm reminded of this, but I immediately discount that logic and remain frustrated because of my own hunger, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you just watch your thinking turn sour. You become frustrated with people you don't even know, people you haven't talked to. You're frustrated about things that have no logic to them, right? They don't make sense. And they're not actually filling your belly. They don't make you feel any better, but it just feels like you're doing something because you can't get your donuts, right? All of us have had those moments of powerlessness. We've all had those moments of hunger. We've all had those moments where we realize we can't control the famine or Pharaoh or our physical needs or the future. And our lack of control results sometimes in a domineering attitude or lashing out at those around us, a disregard for logic, grasping for some semblance of control. Jacob in verse 6, Israel says to Judah, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Now, Judah comes back and he says, he asked us questions. And we answered his questions. What were we supposed to do? We're supposed to lie to him? He says, the man questioned us carefully, verse 7, and ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we say in any, or could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to Israel, his father, and this is where Judah refocuses him. Send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. He looks at Judah and he says, you're grilling me about why I told the man in Egypt the thing I told him. But what you're forgetting is that the answer to that question is irrelevant. The answer to how he discovered that information about Benjamin, whether I told him, whether I intended to do you harm, none of that matters. What matters is if we don't go back to Egypt, it's an issue of life or death. If we don't go back to Egypt, let's think about what's most important. Is the most important thing who told who what and how it all happened? Or is the most important thing that if we don't get food, you and me and our kids and our wives and our grandkids and our great-great-grandkids are dead? And he refocuses Jacob on the issues that are essential. He refocuses Jacob on the things that matter most. He refocuses Jacob on the issues of life and death. It's easy for us in moments of powerlessness, in moments of change, in moments as things are out of our control. It's easy for us sometimes to focus on things that don't matter. And what we need is to have someone grab us by the chin and lift our eyes again to Christ. Lift our eyes again to the desperate need of the lost in this city and around the world who without Christ will be separated from God forever. But it's so easy to get bogged down in the weeds about things that don't matter. Why? Because we're trying to hold on to some kind of control somewhere. right? Trying to hold on to some semblance of control. And Judah looks at Jacob and says, let's not talk about the man in Egypt or how he knows what he knows or what's going on with Benjamin. Let's instead talk about the fact that if we don't go, all of us are dead. Let's talk about life and death. This is a great reminder for us as a church. 
It's a great reminder for us as the people of God to not let ourselves get distracted in our lives from the things that are most essential. To not let ourselves get distracted from Christ and who he is, from his glory and the good of others that is accomplished when they understand that Jesus died for them, that he loves them, and that it is only through him that resurrection life can be found. It's easy to get bogged down on things that don't matter. And I think if Judah were here this morning, he would want to lift our eyes and say, let's talk about the things that are life and death. Let's talk about the things that are core. Jacob recognizes the mistake that he's made here. And so Jacob pivots. He says, and Judah, Judah gives him a guarantee, which is different than the Judah we saw before for sure. But look at verse 11. Their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. If you have one of our Genesis journals, you're taking notes, whether in the book or on your phone or whatever, I'd love for you to underline the phrase that Jacob says, perhaps it was an oversight. Something interesting about what's happening with Jacob's theology. We're going to come back to it in a second. But Jacob says to them, take double the silver, take enough to pay for the grain you got before and take enough to pay back the money that you got, right? And to buy, to buy more, right? Because if you remember from the story we told before, Joseph had put the money back into the mouths of their sacks. He put the money back into their grain sacks. And so they had all their money, but it's interesting here that when Jacob thinks about that money that was returned to them, that he doesn't understand how it got there. He says, perhaps there was a mistake. Perhaps somebody had an oversight. Take the money back to them because it might have been a miscalculation. That's what his mind is telling him in this particular moment. He has them prepare a gift, which is typical for Jacob. We've seen this work for Jacob before. Remember, Jacob is grasping at control. And what has worked for Jacob in the past is you prepare gifts. Remember what he does for Esau? Send a few animals and send an emissary. Send a few more gifts and send an emissary. Send another gift and send an emissary. So Jacob is going back into his old playbook and he's saying, if I want to appease the leader in Egypt, we're going to send him some gifts. We're going to send him some rich stuff, right? Not stuff that will sustain us, but stuff that may please him in Egypt. Take double your money with you because perhaps it was an oversight when they gave us our money back. Take also your brother Benjamin and arise and go again to the man. Verse 14, may God, here he prays. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now, it's interesting here, just as this little side note, that the gifts that Jacob sends along with his sons to give to Joseph, he doesn't know it's Joseph, but the gifts that he sends are the very same things that the caravan had been carrying when Joseph was taken into captivity. Remember that in Genesis 37? It's very interesting. If you were to go back and look at Genesis 37, verse 25, when the brothers sat down to eat, looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way down to carry it to Egypt. So it's interesting, we get to 43 and Jacob prepares this gift and it would have had the scent or the aroma of the very first trip that Jacob took, excuse me, that Joseph took when he was made captive. The gift that they take to Joseph would have smelled exactly like that initial trip of captivity. Jacob says, take the man a gift, take your brother Benjamin and listen to the way he sort of resigned himself. He says in verse 14, Excuse me. He says in verse 14, may God almighty grant you mercy. He prays for God's mercy and compassion. May he send back your brother, your other brother, Simeon and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. There is a, a moment here where 
He prays for mercy, but he also resigns himself to his own powerlessness. I don't believe that what we're hearing in Jacob's lips at this point is faith. I don't think this is Jacob saying, hey, you know what? God is in control. He does say, hey, may God give you mercy with the man in Egypt. And we're going to see that prayer answered in a second. But I think what we're seeing here is Jacob resigning himself to the fact that he can't control the future. He's finally being honest about the fact that he can't control Pharaoh and he can't control the famine and he can't control his own hunger and the lives of his family. That God is the only one who has that control. He says, if, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. There's nothing I can do about it. And so it's interesting how frustrated we get. And we've talked about this before, but how frustrated we can be as human beings because of our lack of knowledge. We don't know the future. We don't know what's happening around the corner. We don't always know what's going on or our lack of power. Sometimes we do know the future. Sometimes we do know what's going on, but we don't have the power to change it. And lots of our frustration and lots of our conflict and a lot of our, uh, a lot of the division that happens in our families and our workplaces and whatever, it happens from our own powerlessness or our lack of information. But it's interesting to note that God knows everything and he has all the power. So when we come to the end of ourself and we start to depend upon God for his mercy, there's actually a a transformative thing that happens. As long as we're fighting for control, we're always going to be frustrated. I remember uh, my son Jack, when he was just a little guy, he would climb up in the front seat of our car, right? And he would grab onto the steering wheel. He couldn't touch the pedals. He'd grab onto the steering wheel. And when we'd come out to the car to go to the grocery store, whatever else, he'd look at me through the window and he'd go, me drive, right? And at first it was cute. He's like a little guy. He's like three years old or whatever. And I'd be like, ah, ha, ha, that's funny. You drive. Okay. You know, that, that's good. Okay. You know, get in the back seat. And most of the time he would do that. But there was one day where he was in the front seat, hands on the steering wheel. He's standing on the seat. He says, me drive. You know, and I was like, no, come on, go ahead and get in the back. And he's like, me drive. And I was like, man, we don't have time for this today, dude. Come on. Like you, you get in the, in the back seat, get in the baby seat. You know, and he's like me drive. And so I, I did sort of the unthinkable. I handed him the keys and I got in the back seat. The interesting thing is he, he didn't know what to do with the keys. Even if he'd have figured out what to do with the keys, which knowing Jack now, he probably could have figured it out. Knowing Jack now, he wouldn't have been able to reach the pedals. He couldn't have made the car go. He had the perception that he could be in control. But even when given some semblance of control, all that did was make him more frustrated. The same thing is true in our lives. As long as we're fighting to be in control, as long as we're fighting the famine or we're fighting the Pharaoh, we're fighting our own physical needs, we're fighting our frustrations, the changes that happen in life, we're going to be frustrated. It's only when we go, you know what? I don't have the power. I don't have the knowledge, but I know the one who does that things change in our lives. So the brothers go with this gift. Look at verse 15. The men took this present. They took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now, when they get there, we don't have to read this whole thing, but when they get there, Joseph throws a lavish party. He sees his brother, Benjamin, the only other brother from his mom, right? And he's overwhelmed. It says in verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought them into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. They said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. So he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. It's interesting that the brothers are suspicious that Joseph's motivation is assault and violence and seizure of property. Because that's the kind of men they are. 
right? It's easy to look at other people and cast them in a light of who we ourselves are. They are men of assault. They are men of violence. They are men who seize other people's property. And so they convey that into the characteristics of Joseph, despite the fact that Joseph hasn't given any indication that that's who he is. They say the only reason he's throwing this feast for us is to trap us because this money came into the mouth of our sacks and we're frustrated. So look at what happens here. They go to the steward. Look at verse 19. The brothers go to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy more food. We do not know who put money in our sacks. If you're the kind of person who took notes or if you're, if you're following along here, I would invite you to underline that phrase. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. It's very similar to what Jacob had said to them earlier at their camp. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was an oversight. We don't know where this came from. It's interesting that in moments of powerlessness and in moments of fear and in moments of grasping for control, that in sometimes in our weakness and in our loss, our emotion and our powerlessness overtake our theology. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to confuse you too much here, but there are moments where in our powerlessness and in our emotion and in our loss and in the change of things around us, we forget who God is. I think it's interesting to note that both Jacob and his sons look at this money that was put back in the mouth of their sacks and both of them go, we don't know how this happened. We don't know where it came from. We don't know if it was an oversight. We don't know if it was a mistake. What we can tell you is we didn't have anything to do with it, right? It wasn't us. It's interesting that they don't see God as the author of this blessing. And yet, look at what happens next. It's really cool. In verse, uh, in verse 23, the steward replied. This is Joseph Steward, an Egyptian steward, by the way. He replied, peace to you. Or the original translation is shalom. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. I find it so striking that the brothers don't know where the blessing came from. That Jacob thinks maybe it was a mistake. And it takes an Egyptian steward to look at these people who were the followers of Elohim. To look at them and say, you don't know where the money came from? You think maybe it was an oversight? You think maybe it was a mistake? Well, I'm, I'm not even a follower of the Hebrew God. And I can tell you, I know where the money came from. Elohim put it there. Your God and the God of your fathers has blessed you. We got our money. We're good to go. Now look, the, the steward knows that Joseph is the one who orchestrated all that. He was following directions when he put the money back in the sack. But what the steward is recognizing is that their God, the God of the heavens and the earth, has blessed them through human stewardship. And through human agents, the Egyptian steward who appropriately is in Joseph's circle. So not to plug circles, but we talk around here all the time about the fact that there are people in your sphere of influence that you should be directing toward the God of the universe, right? The steward looks at these men and he says to them, you don't know where that money came from. It was your God and the God of your forefathers who put it there. You don't need to be afraid. Peace unto you. God is blessing you. I think it's interesting in our own lives how often in the midst of our fear or our anxiety or our struggling for control, when we're experiencing loss and change, when we're frustrated with a famine or Pharaoh or our physical needs of the future, how often we lose sight of God's provision even in the midst of our struggle. 
we lose sight of the fact that God is continuing to put money in our sack, even though all we can think about is how things aren't going the way we want. It's interesting. They throw this feast and uh, they sit him at different tables. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. They prepared this present for Joseph's coming at noon, verse 25. When Joseph came home, verse 26, they brought into the house, uh, they, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. So here's the aroma of the balm and the myrrh and the gum, the very same scents he would have smelled on the back of that camel that first hauled him to Egypt. And he sees his brothers. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. They bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. This is the first time where we see the dream fully fulfilled that he had as a young man. All of his brothers. Now, Simeon is out of prison. Benjamin is present. All of the brothers have bowed down here before Joseph. They prostrate themselves. And he, that's Joseph, lifted up, lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. If you remember the beginning of this chapter, what Jacob prays in the midst of his powerlessness is that God would stir mercy or compassion in the heart of the man in Egypt, that they would be met with mercy there. Joseph sees Benjamin and his brothers bowing down the fulfillment of a prophetic dream that he had had as a young man. And what is produced in the heart of Joseph? The very thing that Jacob prayed for. A burning compassion. A heart of mercy. It's exactly an answer to Jacob's prayer. Now, now would Jacob have known that his prayer was answered? No, because Jacob's in another place. But my point for us this morning is this. Is God moving? Is it possible that God has put money in the mouth of your sack? Is it possible that God is answering your prayer? Is it possible that God is writing with a pen that maybe you you would write differently? I would say to you, it's absolutely possible. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's the people that aren't as close to God who have to knock on the door of our hearts and say, you don't know where that money came from? Your God put that there. You don't know where these blessings came from? Your God put that there. Jacob wants to be reunited with his family, but he could only imagine it happening one way. You and I must have eyes to see God's presence and his power and his provision today. You see, for many of us, all we see is our own powerlessness. We only see the famine. We see others' failures or God's failure to do the thing the way we want him to do it. But the Bible is clear that for those of us who are followers of Christ, there's a different way to live. Rather than being overwhelmed with our own powerlessness or the failures of ourselves and others, the failure of God to do the thing we want him to do, there's a call for us to forget the past and to press on for the call that God has called us to. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forget what lies behind. What's Jacob's frustration? Jacob's frustration is that he's always been able to make it work in the past. He's always been able to multiply the flock or find a wife or get away from his brother or get the blessing or the birthright. He's always been able to exercise his own control. Paul will say, I forget the past. Forget the past. Here's what I'm doing. I'm not worried about what happened in the past. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For us in our circumstances, no matter where you find yourself, don't spend too much time thinking about how things were yesterday. Don't spend too much time thinking about how much power you had a month ago and instead recognize that no matter who you are or where you find yourself today, God has a calling for you, an upward and an onward calling today. 
And not only does he have an onward and upward calling for you today, in order to accomplish that onward and upward calling, you're going to have to forget about how much power you had yesterday or how good things were at your last job, or how awesome things were in the last town you lived in, or how awesome things were you know, in the last political season, or whatever, right? Onward and upward, we have to remember that God has called us forward, just like he's calling Jacob forward to things he couldn't have anticipated. Not only does God call us on and up, but Psalms 23 says he is with us, probably familiar to you, but listen to Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the moments where you feel powerless, don't forget the fact that God has an onward and upward call for you today. Also, don't forget that God is present with you. That he will prepare a table for you. Even in the presence of your enemies. That he will continue to put silver in the mouth of your sack and you shouldn't wonder about where it came from you can be confident about where it came from because you have a good shepherd and then the last thing I will remind you is that sometimes that that sense of powerlessness comes from the fact that things change one of the things Jeff Lilly and I have talked about a lot is that he and I both are committed to be happy old people, right? Happy old people. He might have said that before. But we've all met happy old people, haven't we? You've met some happy old people in your life, and when you meet them, you're like, this is awesome, right? They've lived this long life, and they have joy and peace. They love Jesus. They keep pointing at him. But we've all also met some grouchy old people, right? And Jeff and I have talked at length about the fact that we want to be happy old people. And that's hard. Because life changes and we become powerless in certain areas. Things are different. Things are taken away. There's loss. Jacob has been through a lot. He's lost his wife. He's lost one of his sons. He can't feed his family. He's feeling that sense of change and powerlessness. But let me remind you, change will happen. Powerlessness will come. There are going to be things that we don't know and things we don't see. How can we be happy old people, you and me? You know how we do it? We remember that while all kinds of things can and will change and all kinds of things will be out of our control, there is one thing or one person rather who stays the same. Hebrews reminds us that the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Things changing in your life? You lost people you care about? You have less control than you'd like to have or than maybe you used to have. You feel like you can't feed your family. You feel like Pharaoh's out to get you. You you feel like you're preparing presents, but you're not sure if they're going to work. Jacob felt all of that. And all he needed to do was listen to the counsel of the steward, the Egyptian steward, to say, your God hasn't abandoned you. What do you mean the money in your sack was a mistake? What do you mean the money in your sack was an oversight? What do you mean? It was your God, the God of your forefathers, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever providing for you like he always has and like he always will. I think for me, the recipe to becoming a happy old person, I'm well on my way. The recipe is to take my eyes off of my circumstances, to take my eyes off of my lack of knowledge and my lack of power, and instead to put my eyes on the one thing or the one person, more importantly, that doesn't change. And that's the Lord Jesus. 
yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to invite Pete Hughes to come up. Uh, I serve on the elder board with Pete here at Fullerton Free. And uh, in talking about this, the blessing of God in the, in the mouth of our sacks, he's going to share some, with you some exciting news and, a, and an important challenge as well. And so uh, will you welcome me, Pete Hughes. Pete? Thank you. Thank you, Darren, um, for that encouraging message. I'm an old person, <laughs> and I, I want to be happy. I would never say my wife is an old person, but I am an, but I am an old person. Um, I'm up here on behalf of the Elder Board um, to share uh, a story of great blessing and to share a challenge with our congregation. You might remember during the business meeting a few weeks ago, Uh, the elders and staff discussed our budget for the year. And one of the things that was part of that budget conversation was the fact that we had received a great one-time financial blessing. Now, that blessing actually has two parts. The first part is a payroll tax credit that the government is giving to profit and nonprofit uh, organizations for retaining and continuing to pay uh, employees during the COVID shutdown and and all of that business. And from that credit, our expectation is that we are going to realize upwards of $800,000 from that credit. Now, there's a second part of that. Um, We had intended last year that we might have to uh, take from our, our cash reserves um, funds to cover some of our be- a budget shortfall. Now, that cash reserve itself came from another uh, federal stimulus program, and that was about 400000 realized. So combined, we have a great one-time benefit, one-time blessing that we have received of about $1.2 million. Um, That's an extraordinary blessing from God, as Darren related. That is silver left in our sacks. And where did that come from? That came from God. And the elder board agreed that the only proper response to receiving that is to tithe a portion of that money, that being blessed by God as we were, that we might bless some other Christian organization. Now, You might imagine that during the uh, COVID uh, pandemic and then coming out of that, there are many Christian organizations who have seen their giving been reduced. Now, that's not to say that the need that those organizations service has diminished. In fact, in many cases, the need has increased. So what we wanted to do is try to identify an organization that we might be able to bless with that tithe. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago now, Lee and Katie uh, Humarian came, and they shared with us the work and the need uh, in Ukraine and the... uh, adjoining countries that are the result of everything that's going on there. Uh, There's a lot of destruction, displacement, and despair. 
And so they related some of that to us. The organization that the Humerians work with, Josiah Venture, is an organization that Fuller and Free has had a long relationship with. We've sent many short-term mission groups, uh, mission teams, uh, to Ukraine, working with the Humerians and other uh, missionaries there and Josiah Venture. In fact, probably some of the families out here have had sons or daughters go on a short-term summer mission working in youth ministry with Josiah Venture. We've also had other folks on construction projects or other service projects go to Ukraine. Well, as you might imagine, the war in Ukraine has changed everything. And so now, uh, Josiah Venture's focus has been changed to really serving and trying to meet the physical and spiritual needs of all the folks there who have been displaced, all the refugees. After some prayerful consideration, the elder board determined that the tithe that we wanted to give from this great one-time blessing, we would give to Josiah Venture. And we are... Yeah... Go ahead. Praise God for that. And the amount that we are going to be giving to them is $150,000. This will go to uh, relief efforts um, and the ministry to the refugees uh, from the Ukraine war. But it's our belief that we have been blessed, as we have been, in order that we might be a blessing to somebody else. That's why God works, not just in our church, but it works in every one of our lives as well. If you have been blessed, you have been blessed that you might be a blessing to someone else. So that's great news, isn't it? That God has given us a little something in our sacks of grain, as it were, something extra. And this signals his care for our fellowship and allows us to bless someone else. But in sharing all of this with you this morning, we also wanted to share the fact that we have some challenges financially ourselves. But we wanted to invite the congregation into the spirit of generosity that we're all called to as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that spirit of generosity is in response to the very great grace, and mercy that we have received from God. And, as Billy described earlier, it's an act of worship, recognizing that everything that we have has come from the Lord. I mentioned earlier that we were able to balance the budget uh, last year because our uh, staff was very frugal. And we were able to balance accounts, cut back on some things, and we ended up being able to balance the budget. But as you all are probably aware, inflation is having an impact on our expenses and is making it difficult for us to figure out how we're going to get that budget balanced for this coming year. Added to that is a downward trend in the giving to the ministry here at Fullerton Free. So as an elder board, what we wanted to do is present that need to you, 
our church family, trusting that being aware of the need, you would ask God how you might participate in a more significant way. Now, we don't want to forego ministry or to cut back on ministry opportunities for want of the finances to do that. And so, having presented the need, we are trusting God with the response. Now, a spirit of generosity in that sense is not merely defined by dollars and cents. But often that is the way that we do it. But generosity is not merely dollars and cents. What is our most valuable resource? It's our time. And there are many ministries here at Fullerton Free that could use a tithe of your time and your talents. My first foray into volunteering here at Fullerton Free was back when I was in college in the late 70s. And I volunteered for a support role supporting the children's ministry on Sunday morning. And my response, my offering to volunteer, was in a response to a message very much like I'm delivering to you this morning. And I'm very glad that I did. Because as a result of that, I developed some very great relationships that lasted me many, many years. Some of those folks have passed away. But it also showed a very young believer what it looked like to work with faithful men and women. And it also showed that young believer the great blessing that there is in obedience and service. In the book of James, we're told that there is blessing and obedience. We will not ever be able to outbless God with our generosity, but we do realize that everything that we have comes from Him. So there are three takeaways that the elders would like for you to leave with this morning. The first, As a church body, we recognize we have received a great blessing. And from that blessing, we want to bless others. But we also have a budget challenge and want to put that need before the congregation, trusting God for the response. Second, in the Great Commission, the church is called to make disciples. And an aspect of discipleship is generosity. Sharing from a thankful heart whatever God has blessed each of us with, be it our treasure, our time, or our talent. And lastly, we recognize that our generosity as a church body and individually is a response to God's generous grace and mercy and is an act of worship to the Lord who owns it all. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, You give us reason after reason to thank you. And you give us reason after reason to say that we love you. And you give us reason after reason to praise your name and bow at your feet. You have washed us clean and asked us to follow you. Ask us the way that you asked the disciples. 
and the prophets of old and have asked men and women and children to follow you from the beginning until today. Father, you are calling us to walk in holiness and obedience. So Father, in response, we worship you and we thank you. We thank you that you have blessed each of us and have blessed this church, caring for us and sustaining the ministry here in Fullerton for 67 years. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to put a little something in our sacks of grain. For like Joseph brothers, we are quite surprised that anything like this could even happen in this day and age, but we recognize that it is from you. May the tithe of Fullerton Free be used by Josiah Venture in a mighty way to bless folks so demoralized and despairing and that they might see Jesus revealed by those using it to comfort them. And Father God, as you have been trusted here in Fullerton for 67 years, we trust you for many, many more. You have been generous with all of us, even to the death of your son on the cross. Please lead and guide us in response. We earnestly desire to be your disciples, to be Christ followers. As you have been generous with us, may that spirit of generosity be manifest in us, in all that we are and in all that we do. Father, it is through the ministry of Fuller and Free that your son was first revealed to me. Thank you. And I thank you for the many others here this morning and online who can say the same thing. And we trust that you will use the ministry of this church to reveal Christ to many, many more. Father, guide us in your way that we might respond in a spirit of unity and generosity. We ask all of this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.